All right, we're gonna get uh, get it going. We're in, we're, we're currently in the uh, new ser- uh, series. We're on week seven of our series, questions that the gospel answers. Last week was a great, great um, foundational teaching on the gospel and understanding that uh, what does the gospel say about the law? Are we still under the law? And the answer is a big fat no. We are no longer under the law. Christ has freed us from the law. He became a curse for us that we might be receive the blessing of Abraham on us. Right? Amen. And we learned we learned that the uh, the law isn't just the Ten Commandments. It's not just the the uh, ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Law is law. Law, the definition of law is anything that you must do to earn God's acceptance. And churches have their own laws. You make up your own laws. I read a chapter a day in my Bible, so now God's happy with me. No, the good news is, is that he was happy with you before you even cracked, crapped, before you even cracked his book, he was he was happy with you. But when you cracked his book, guess what you found out? You found out that he was happy with you. You found out the good news. And today we're going to be tackling another question: Are we supposed to do everything that Jesus said? And this, again, seems like it should be a pretty obvious answer. Of course, we're supposed to do everything that Jesus said. See, a lot of people, when you talk about the gospel, and especially grace, because that's what the gospel is. Gospel means good news. Good news almost too good to be true. When you talk about that, they say to themselves, this is awesome. It's not about me. It's not about what I must do. It's about what God has done. He has saved me. He had delivered me. It's all about God. It's all about his grace, his favor. And the grace is so much more than just undeserved favor. Grace is, is staying power. It's the ability to live like you're saved. Not only does he save you, but he empowers you to live like it. That's why we're supposed to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, right? But when people start the lights start going on and people start saying, you know what, you're right, I can't earn my way to heaven. There's no way I can get to heaven. It's only by Jesus Christ. And they get, start getting excited about it. All of a sudden they run into a barrier. Some people, they run into this barrier and it hinders them from believing the gospel. And you know what that barrier is? Jesus. Now that you're thinking, Jesus, he is the gospel. He is grace. That's, that's all we preach here is Jesus. How can you say that Jesus is a barrier from people receiving the gospel? It's because when they read the things that Jesus said, they say, well, Jesus is putting stipulations to faith. Jesus has a lot of sticks and carrots out there. Jesus has a lot of ifs in his messages. And what they fail to understand is that Jesus was living under the law. They're they're failing to understand that Jesus was at the crossroads of the old covenant ending and the new covenant beginning. 
They become confused by some of the teachings of Jesus. Suddenly, the grace of God doesn't seem to be free. It's unconditional love with conditions. If Jesus said it, shouldn't we do it? Right? We've been taught that that's the reason why in the, in the New Testament they, they, there's those red letters. We're supposed to follow everything in those red letters. You're supposed to do everything that the red letters tell you. That's what Jesus said. But if Jesus said, said it, shouldn't we do it? Well, that depends on what he said, to whom he said it, and why he said it. See, this goes back to our very... Very first teaching on how can I read the Bible without getting confused. This may come to, as a surprise, but not everything Jesus said was meant, was meant for you. We're told don't stray too far from the red letters. And that's what we tell new believers. It means stay close to the teachings of Jesus and you can't go wrong. It sounds good, but it's actually bad advice. It's bad advice. Read the red letters of Jesus and you will find two medicines, grace and law. Jesus gave grace to sinners and law to the self-righteous. Like a perfect physician, Jesus gave people exactly what they needed. The confusing part is, which medicine is for me? I like grace, but the commandments of Jesus are hard to ignore, right? So in our confusions, we take both medicines. We swallow grace and law, and it ends up and we end up receiving the benefits of neither. All we receive is the side effects. Just because Jesus said it doesn't mean he said it to you. When we live by the red letters of Jesus, it's a bit like swallowing whatever you find in the medicine cabinet. If you fail to distinguish his life-giving words of grace from the death-dealing words of law, you could hurt yourself. And we've all been here before. Hebrews 8, chapter 6, it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. A more excellent ministry than who? Then Moses in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, by as much he is also the mediator of a better covenant. It's amazing how many people want to spend all their time in the worst covenant. Right? If this is better, the other one's worse. Which has been um, enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless... There would be no, have been no occasion sought for a second. God found fault in the Old Covenant. You know who the fault was? Amen. So, someone's been listening. It was us. Because we could not keep our end of the bargain. We were the weak link. So God put on our flesh and dwelt among us. And he fulfilled the old covenant. And now this new covenant is made between God and Jesus. And neither one of them will ever break that covenant. And now there's no link, weak link. There's no fault in that covenant any longer. 
Jesus lived at the crossroads of two covenants. As humanity, humanity is representative, he came to fulfill the old law-keeping covenant so that we might relate to God through a new and better covenant with better, with better promises. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. You are sons and daughters of God. Under the law, you were a servant. See, this is another one of those paradigms because we are still servants, but we're also sons and daughters. The Bible now calls us bond servants. Do you know what a bond servant was? In the Old Testament, um, if someone had a slave that was um, paying off a debt or something, and when the debt was paid off, if they chose, because they loved the master, they loved working for them, they, if they chose after the debt was paid off to stay on as a servant, they could become a bond servant. And what they would do is they, they would put a big earring in their ear or in their nose representing that they were a bond servant. They were serving by choice, right? And the Bible says that we are bond servants. See, we're sons and daughters, and that's how we spend most of our life, enjoying the Father's love, basking in the goodness of God as sons and daughters of God. But there are times because we are in a battle, right? There's a world that needs to be won. There's a world that needs to know about Jesus. There are things that God wants to accomplish in the earth through each one of us. There are times when God says, you need to do this. And that's when we say, yes, sir. We become the bondservant. We serve willingly. We don't, we, we don't, we don't serve out of, out of responsibility towards God. We, res, we serve out of a gratitude and love, out of wisdom. Jesus came to redeem Purchase, that's what it means, all those under the law. Do you know that you've been purchased? That you've been bought out of the old covenant, out of the law? You no longer belong to sin. You no longer belong to Satan. You no longer belong under the law because you've been purchased. You've been redeemed by Christ Jesus. We no longer, we're no longer servants of the law. We're sons and daughters of God who serve him out of wisdom and love for him. Jesus was born under the law, circumcised by the law, and presented in the temple according to the law. Every Jewish person Jesus met was also born under the law. To those under the law, this is what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 23, verses 2, he said, The teachers of the law, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Jesus told those that were born under the law that, yes, you must keep the law because you were born under the law. Jesus spoke two languages. To those that are born under the law, he spoke the language of law. But those that were not born under the law, Gentiles, do you know Gentiles were never in that covenant? Gentiles were never in the old covenant. They were never, ever, ever under there. When were the Gentiles under the old covenant? Never. Very good. And we're all Gentiles here, right? No, no. Jews in here? No? So, so that's good news that you were never ever under that covenant. Most people had never knew that. And then everyone born after the cross were never under it. There's now neither Jew nor Greek. 
but a Christian. Jesus has not only saved us, saved us from our sins, but he's also united the world. There's no male, female, poor, rich. There's, there, we're all one equal in Christ Jesus. There's no black, there's no white. They're all one in Jesus. Jesus united the whole world. Jesus speaks the law of grace to those that are not under the law. Jesus is grace with skin on. We've seen that in a previous message. But Jesus was also the greatest law preacher of all time. When religious people came to trap him with theological puzzles, Jesus would typically respond with law. What does Moses command you? To the Jew in the temple, Jesus said this, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. In John chapter 7, verse 19, no, Nobody preached the law like Jesus. Consider this passage that Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is one of the most popular sayings of Jesus. It's also vintage law. This, this right here, this scripture, if we were honest with ourselves, would make us shudder because there's a big if in there. What if you missed one person has done you wrong to forgive them? Jesus is saying, you will not be forgiven by your Heavenly Father. All you got to do is miss one. What happens if you get mad at somebody and get hit by a car? That's where that whole teaching that you got to confess your sins and over and over and over, you know, as soon as you do them because you never know what's going to happen. This should make us shudder with fear. This is a killer scripture. It's not good news. Do you know why we don't shudder with fear when we read this? Because we don't really believe that God would not forgive us if we fail to forgive someone else. But Jesus was being literal. It's not good news. This verse should make us fear and tremble. Why is it not good news? Because it says our forgiveness rests on our ability to forgive others. This is bad news because we are poor forgivers indeed. Church people are some of the worst forgivers. We have huge church splits and because of unforgiveness. Could people sin against us repeatedly? Have we honestly forgiven them all? What if we miss one? And what do we say? What do we say to those who've been abused and mistreated? I mean, terrible things have happened to them. What do we say? What do we say to the child that's been molested? Sweetie, you need to forgive that evil man, otherwise God won't forgive you. That's what we do. That's not grace. That's a condemning ministry of law in full bloom. See, in this evil world, in this fallen world, there are things that have happened to us that in our human ability are unforgivable. 
But the good news is, is that God our Father not only forgives us in our inability to forgive, but he, in his love, in his unfathomable love for us, has the ability to forgive those that have betrayed us in such audacious ways. Maybe the world won't forgive you. Maybe you've done something terrible that, that you, you're never going to receive forgiveness for. The good news is God has enough love for you to forgive you. Amen? Amen? How do you forgive the unforgivable? You can't. You're in trouble then, for the law condemns you as an unforgiver. The law is any conditional statement, statement that links our behavior with blessings or curses. How do we re- recognize the law that Jesus preached? Just look for carrots and sticks. You're putting this carrot out there in front of you and you chase after it. You will find plenty in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, here's just a sampling. Do not judge... Or you too will be judged. That's good advice, right? We shouldn't judge. But it's also law. It comes with a big stick. Judgment. And if any of you say that you've never judged anyone, you're lying. We judge like crazy. And that means God's going to judge you. That's not good news. See, the problem is, is the church has done the same thing as the Pharisees. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you probably need to hear it twice. Is that we've softened the law so much that we actually think that we can obtain it. When we hear the law preached, we should fall on our face and say, God, have mercy on us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. In hell. Well, that that should make us uh, do a double take, shouldn't it? Jesus said that. Did Jesus really mean that? Jesus can't be serious. And perhaps you're thinking, well, Jesus, that's, that's just stern speaking. Surely he doesn't want us to go around maiming ourselves, right? That's not what Jesus wanted. Nevertheless, the question stands, did Jesus mean what he said? Was he being literal or was he being figurative? Religious response, obviously, Jesus wasn't being literal. He, he was just using strong words to warn us about the seriousness of sin. He's, preaching self, he's not preaching self-mutilation, but self-denial. He's telling us he, that, that we should just do whatever it takes to avoid hell. 
There's only two problems with that explanation. The first assumes that Jesus was exaggerating. He wasn't telling the truth. Preachers might exaggerate, but Jesus never exaggerated. Jesus never exaggerated. Jesus always meant what he said and said what he meant. He is truth personified, just like he's grace personified. It is inconceivable that he would play with words for the crude purposes of ramming home a lesson. The second reason why this can't be just a good suggestion from Jesus is the problem is that with this interpretation is it suggests that we can do things to avoid hell. Maybe we don't have to self-amputate, but can we confess, abstain, renounce, and generally be good? There's nothing wrong with being good, but if you think you can save yourself by being good, you're as dumb as a Pharisee. We cannot save ourselves, and that's what the Pharisees thought, that they could save themselves by their actions, by just being good enough. So Jesus was being, so Jesus was being literal? He really wants us to self-amputate? Yes to the first part, and no to the second part. Jesus was being literal, but self-mutilation does nothing to deal with sin. Because sin is of the heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so, so is he. Why would Jesus tell us to do something he doesn't really want us to do? He's doing it so that we may appreciate the absurd, absurdity, absurdity of trying to impress God with our acts of self-righteousness. Jesus literally said, do you want the law? Fine. But if you're going... That, take that course of self-reliance. You better prepare to go the whole way if, if it, it means sacrificing your eye and your hand. Jesus was serious because salvation is serious business. You risk must, much by trusting in your own self-righteousness. Jesus is not preaching the law because he wants you to keep it. He's laying down the law so that you will stop pretending that you are. That's why the church, we preach the law so much and we pretend that we keep the law so much that that's why the world labels us hypocrites. You might think that you're keeping the law. I'll just go ask your wife. I'll ask your kids. I'll ask your neighbor, your co-workers. Romans chapter 3 verse 19 now we know that, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Who was the law for? Those that were under the law, right? The Jews. And what does the law do? The law speaks to them so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable. The law brings accountability to our actions. Jesus esteemed the law for the purpose for which it was given. The law was given to silence every mouth and hold, and hold the whole world accountable. The purpose of the law is to make us conscious of sin and, not reveal, and, and, and to reveal our need for a Savior. Matthew ch- chapter 15, 1-3. Then some Pharisees describes 
came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? See, this is what the Pharisees were doing. This is what they they did, is that they brought the law down to where they could attain it. They they brought it down to traditions of men. That washing hands before you eat had nothing to do with the laws of Moses. So they chastised people for not keeping their traditions, but at the same time, they were not keeping the law themselves. Since Sinai, the Jews had 14 centuries to learn what the law would teach them. That we are incapable of dealing with sin. However, the law teachers and the Pharisees had diluted the law of Moses with their traditions and interpretations. By honoring their traditions ahead of the law, they emptied the law of its power to condemn. As a result, the menace of sin was not fully recognized, and the self-righteousness weren't silenced. The law had, had been... If the law had been allowed to do its proper work, the Jews would have been primed and ready for a Savior. If the law was doing what it was supposed to do when Jesus showed up, they would have been ready for Jesus. But since the law teachers had softened the law, Jesus had to do their job before he could do his own. Before he could save the world from sin, he had to preach the law that makes sin utterly sinful. The law is not a standard to live up to. It's a mirror that reveals our shortcomings. Jesus came to polish that mirror. (laughs) He takes the knockdown law and raises it up to a high standard, higher than it's ever been before. Why did the the Lord of grace preach law? Because some people will never appreciate good news until they hear the bad news which is this, Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said about the, the most righteous, good, upstanding citizens in all Jerusalem, that if you're not better than them, you will never make heaven. The Pharisees and the law teachers were good men. But Jesus said they weren't good enough. They prayed, they fasted, they traveled over land and sea winning converts. But Jesus said they fell short of God's righteous standard. They would never enter the kingdom. If they can't make it, who can? The brutal answer is no one. We all fall short. You may say, I'm a decent person. I've never killed or committed adultery. Surely God will let me in. And the law replies, Your best is not good enough. God demands perfection and nothing less. This is bad news for imperfect people like you and me. None of us lives up to God's standards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When we look into the mirror of the law that Jesus preached and we are left with no uncertainty, I'm a lawbreaker. I'll never get in. When when we have gotten to this point, And only when we've gotten to this point, then we're ready to hear the good news. When you get to the point of utter despair, when you get to the place of, I'll never be good enough, I give up, God, that's when we're ready to hear this. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus, on our behalf, fulfilled the law and the prophets for us. Jesus preached the law so that we might appreciate grace. He outlined the high and lofty requirements of the kingdom so that we would abandon our futile quest to qualify for his kingdom. He proclaimed God's perfect standards so that you would trust him and fulfill, trust him to fulfill, fulfill the law on your behalf. Why did Jesus preach the law? Jesus preached the law so that you might appreciate grace. He outlined the high and lofty requirements of the kingdom so that you would abandon your futile quest to qualify. He proclaimed God's perfect standard so that you would trust him to fulfill the law on your behalf. That's bad that's the bad news that the law declares. You're not perfect. And, and, and the good news of grace responds, but you have a high priest who is. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 through 26 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely. If something's complete, what needs to be added to it? Nothing. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The law will leave you wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I saved? But grace gives you the confidence to declare, Jesus has done it all. Jesus is good enough. Jesus saves you completely. This is why we should not read the so-called commandments of Jesus as laws we must keep. Jesus preached the law so that you would run to grace. You cannot trust his grace and your law-keeping. It's one or the other. You can't have it both ways. It's either the new wine skins or the old wine skins. Romans 10.4, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Guess what? You are right with God. You're all right. You're okay with God. That's good news. For Christ has already accomplished. If he's already accomplished it, what are you doing working your tail off trying to do it? The gospel of grace declares that righteousness... You and I need comes as a free gift. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the good news tells us that God makes us right in his sight. God makes you right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that the righteous person has life. You have life, you are righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done, your faith in his accomplishment. Romans 5, 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. We are not counted righteousness because we keep commandments, the commandments of Jesus We are judged righteous through the faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is good news. So when people say we should do everything that Jesus said, and when people make that claim, 
It's a reckless claim. And those that say that are nothing more, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, are nothing more than hypocrites. I guarantee you, those who say we should do everything that Jesus said aren't doing everything he said. They're only doing some of the things he said. How do I know? Because all of them have their limbs and their eyes. Religion picks and chooses from the words of Jesus. Those sayings which are too hard, they dismiss as frigative. Jesus didn't really mean that. They're just like the Pharisees who kept the easy laws and rewrote the hard ones. Am I saying that we should not live by the law Jesus preached? Well, if you do, you're declaring your unbelief in the grace Jesus revealed. You are saying, Jesus is not the end of the law for me. I don't trust in his finished work. This is unwise. It is trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant and insulting the spirit of grace. We must do everything Jesus said is a statement of unbelief. It's saying, I trust what I do more than what he did. If you're thinking, grace preachers don't take the words of Jesus seriously... As a matter of fact, we take it, the opposite is true. We take it more serious than anybody. We take what Jesus says very seriously. We don't write it off as just mere suggestions. When Jesus is preaching law, I say that's serious law and not something to be dismissed as just an exaggeration. If Jesus said it, he surely meant it. And when Jesus is revealing grace, I bow in breathless gratitude. Everything Jesus said was good, but not everything that Jesus said is good for you. Jesus is the greatest preacher of all time. He told stories. He preached some sermon. He preached sermons in the whole that the whole world needs to hear. The, geni- the genius of Jesus is that he often preached one message with two punchlines. If you were confident in your own righteousness. You got the law, but if not, you got grace. Consider the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he says, And he also told a parable of some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with content. Hmm, sounds like, I don't know, let's see. Two men went up to the temple and pray, to pray. One a Pharisee, the other the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Look at, he, he was praying this to himself. Like God wasn't even nowhere around his prayer. He didn't want nothing to do with it. He's all by himself praying this. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
The story ends with a bombshell. The hated, sinful tax collector. That was the lowest of morality in Jewish culture. Went home justified. And the Pharisee did not. So how does this parable make you feel? Does it make you feel full of joy or with resentment? Because the gospel of grace, for those that trust in their own self-righteousness, are full of resentment when they hear it. They can't stand pure grace. Your response to this story is your response to the gospel. If you identify with the sinful tax collector, then this story is good news. He went home justified. That's the scandal. That's the scandal of grace. But, Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says, But to the, to the one who does the, not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And you're thinking, so I don't have to work? I don't have to do anything? No, you get to. You get to new, live this new life. But it doesn't, you're, you do it because you are righteous, not to become righteous. When we look at that parable Jesus said, and we search, search it all through it, and try to find evidence where Jesus said that the tax collector did anything, any kind of good to merit his righteousness. You can't find anything. Grace is for the undeserving. But if you are confident of your self-righteousness, this story is not good news at all. Wait a second. I fast. I tithe. I'm better than other people. Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus doesn't mince words. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. That's a hard word for a hard heart. It's a word that condemns the self-righteous and silences the boastful. It's a word of law for those who don't need, see their need for grace. Jesus is brilliant at giving people exactly what they need. Consider the parable of the prodigal son. Some people love that story. Some people can't stand it. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son took his inheritance that his father gave him, basically said, I'm de- you're dead to me, father. Give me my inheritance. Went off and just spent it all, blew it all, and got to a place where there's a famine in the land, and he's, he's, this Jewish boy is eating the food right along with the pigs that he was feeding. And a thought comes to him. I'm going to go back and become a servant unto my father. I'm going to work my way back into his graces. And he's coming back. And the father never stopped looking for him because he says, it says that when he seen him coming, he ran to him, threw his arms around him. And in the Greek, it literally means he, he started k- kissing him and could not stop kissing him. And he says, kill the fatted calf, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, finger and sandals on his feet. 
for my son who is dead is alive again. And what happens? The older son that did everything right, he comes up walking from the hard day's work, and here's the merriment. Here's the party going on. And as he's walking up there, he asks, what's going on? And he says, your, 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 your younger brother has come home. He's come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf. And the older brother refuses to go into the party. And the father comes out to the brother. He says to him, what's wrong? We should be happy. And, and the brother says, I've been with you all these years. But this son of yours has spent all his inheritance on har- harlots and drunkenness. And it's, it's interesting that we have no idea. The Bible, it doesn't really say what he spent his money on. But isn't that how the self-righteous are? They judge people with the things that they're thinking in their own head? That's what he would do. And he says, we should, we should be happy. We should be celebrating. And the story ends with the father standing outside of the party with his son that refuses to go in. This story shouldn't be the story of the prodigal son. It should be called the story of the good father. See, if you're sitting here this morning and you've come to an end of yourself and you, you realize that you're just like that prodigal son, you've ran from God, you've wasted your life away, you've done things that are unspeakable, and, and in, today you feel like you, I, I'm just going to try to come home and work my way into the Father's graces, and you hear this story, you hear Jesus saying this, that the Father won't even allow you to become a servant. He wants you to, to bring you back into sonship first. He wants you to know he's your, you're his son you're his daughter. And when you hear this, if you sat there and heard Jesus saying this, you would be jumping up and down. You would be excited. But if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I've went to church all my life. I've done so many things. I serve in the church. I tithe. I do all these wonderful things. Why would God bless that sinner over me? Why would God throw a party for him? Doesn't he know everything that I've been doing for him? I never received a party where the father says, all I have is yours. You can party anytime you want. Jesus threw a party, God threw a party celebrating someone that was came back to life. We can throw a party because we live in life constantly, all the time. But if you're self-righteous, you hate this story. If you trust in your own works, you hate this story. You can't stand it when good things happen to bad people. You can't stand it when people that you think are less spiritual than you are have good things happen to you, happen to them. When they testify of their prayers being answered. Because you think that their prayers being answered has your prayers being answered has something to do with your own holy your own self righteousness. And it's only the grace of God.
Words mean different things to different people. If you identify with the tax collector or the, prod- uh, or the prodigal, the words of Jesus are packed with radical grace. You read them with praise and thanksgiving, with whoops of joy. But if you identify with the Pharisee or the older brother, his words are extremely unsettling. They are serious words, not fun at all. This is why Jesus was killed. Because he was taking the religious system and turning it upside down. They are serious words. They're not fun at all. Yet if you allow them, the words of Jesus will change you. They will strip you of your religion and reveal your need for grace. How should we read the words of Jesus? The wrong way is to treat them as keys to life or sacred commandments that must be obeyed or else. We are not to idolize the words of Jesus. We're to idolize and worship Jesus. We are to worship Jesus. Read the words of Jesus through the lens of the cross. Read them to hear Jesus and receive the abundance of grace. Do not read them finding out what you must do, but what Jesus has done, and then rejoice in Jesus Christ, the God of our salvation. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.